0: one or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study
1: and this is the virtual bible study for thursday august 4th 2011 welcome to the program my name is jacob
2: Gwyn. my father greg Gwyn, is here hello dad Jacob, great to be with you, as always, on Thursday night for our virtual Bible study.
1: Good to be with you, and good to be with you, our listening audience. You can participate in the program tonight by giving us a call toll-free at 877-381-4567, by emailing your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com, or the chat room is open beside the video window tonight, and you can sign in and join in the discussion there. We have an interesting program planned for tonight. Um, We've got a special guest.
2: Jacob, we have joining with us uh, by telephone, Frank Webb, who's the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Uh, And Frank has uh, graciously agreed to join us on the program to discuss a point of difference that we have. Uh, I think it's probably a pretty well-known point of difference between Baptist churches and and churches of Christ. Uh, We want to talk about basically God's plan of salvation for us. And the reason why I got a hold of Frank was because back earlier in the spring, uh, they sent out a real pretty color flyer. I got a copy of it here uh in which they were inviting people to their services, of course, but they gave some information concerning how to obtain salvation, and it included the sinner's prayer. I want to just look at that real quick, Jeff. I got a chart that you might pop up on the screen because this is this is what we want to talk about with Frank and I don 't know if we got Frank up on the air.
1: Frank, are you there?
2: Yes, Okay, Frank, thanks for joining us on the virtual Bible study. Let me read this from the flyer that you all sent out earlier in the spring. It says, salvation includes forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. But how is this possible? To have forgiveness and eternal life, you must repent, believe, and receive. It's like three branches joined together, making one living plant. To repent, the Bible says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, Acts 3.19 repentance is turning away from sin to god it's changing your view of sin yourself and god to believe and receive the bible says but as many as received him to them he gave power to become the sons of god even to them that believe on his name john 1 believing and receiving means trusting christ alone for salvation would you like to trust christ alone for eternal life you can find it here if so then pray this prayer or a similar prayer from your heart to express that trust and it gives a prayer of salvation I think this is often what we refer to as the sinner's prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died on the cross for my sin and then arose. Please forgive me of my sin and now confess you as my Lord and Savior and trust you alone for my salvation. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Amen. Congratulations. You've just made the most important decision of your life. Now that you've received Christ as Lord and Savior, we want to offer you a free book, and so on it goes. So that was, that was the flyer that you all sent, Frank, and that's what got my... Uh, uh interest in talking with you about that because this flyer uh clearly describes the sinner's prayer approach to salvation and that's not what we understand the bible teaches as the necessary things that's not that 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 doesn't encompass what we believe the bible teaches as necessary things for salvation so i wanted to i wanted you to explain this you and i have met privately and talked about this and i wanted you to explain your position on the sinner's prayer approach to gaining salvation?
3: Well, Greg, thank you for uh, asking me that question. Uh, The the mail-out that you referred to, our church, uh, sent out in Mount Pleasant back about Easter time. And, of course, we were inviting folks to be in church on Easter, um, our church or some other church. But uh, we also included that plan of salvation that ended with a prayer to receive uh, salvation. And uh, it was actually published by our uh, North American Mission Board, um, which is not a governing body, but it's an association of Baptist churches in in North America. And uh, we felt like it was was very well done uh, and very clear in in presenting the gospel. Um, Now, you were asking specifically about uh, the sinner's prayer. Um, If you uh, notice also in the wording of what you read, When it came to that point, it said you can pray a prayer like this or this prayer or one of your own or from your own heart or something to that effect.
2: In other words, words, you're not saying that there's a specific formula that has to be followed in such a prayer.
3: Exactly. Um, We don't look at what uh, is typically called the sinner's prayer as a magic formula or the only words that can be prayed. Uh, to to receive Christ or to receive salvation it's simply a tool it's a uh, a model prayer, a sample prayer if you will, that just uh, helps
2: Frank, let me let me ask you now a, a couple of points uh, that that I want to hear you address about this. Do can you produce an example from the scriptures, New Testament scriptures, where someone was in was advised to do this? In other words, say here's a lost person who's seeking salvation uh, recorded in the New Testament, because we have literally thousands of people in the Book of Acts who who turned to the Lord. So there's plenty of conversions in the book of Acts that we can study. Where do you find a pattern like this? In other words, uh, where was someone told, pray this prayer and you'll be saved uh, if you sincerely mean what what you mean when you pray it?
3: Right. Well, Greg, I guess the best scripture I know to point to, and I'm not sure it directly answers your question, but maybe indirectly, uh, is the passage in Romans that talks about confessing and believing. In fact, in Romans uh, 10 and 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so when we talk about a sample prayer, or a sinner's prayer, we're simply trying to include these elements of confessing and believing uh, that Jesus died for our sin, was raised from the dead, that we are sinners and need to confess that to Christ. That we need to believe in him as our Lord And confess that And then verse 13 there in Romans 10 Says for whoever calls on the name of the Lord Shall be saved So this is simply again a tool That we use to help people Call on the name of the Lord So they can be saved Now
1: can you explain that calling on the name of the Lord process As you understand it What is that Is that just uh, you know saying Jesus' name out loud What do you mean by calling on the name of the Lord
3: Okay well, again, in the context of Romans 10, where I'm quoting here, the, the verses prior say that you've got to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth. So there's the inward belief and the outward confession of our faith. And so I think that's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. It means that you admit that you realize you have sinned, that you admit that to God, that you ask is forgiveness of that, and and it's on the basis of the fact that you understand that Jesus is the one and only sacrifice for us who died on the cross uh, to to forgive our sin. So it encompasses all those things. So
1: you would just say me. it'd be sort of like verbalizing your beliefs and convictions, it'd be it'd be the equivalent exactly. of calling on the name of the Lord,
2: as you understand it. Right. Okay. But but now that text in Romans ten, Frank, that that doesn't suggest prayer. It says, it suggests confessing obviously you'd have to believe before you confess that you believe with the heart man believeth unto righteousness with the mouth confession is made unto salvation it says so there's faith and confession in romans 10 9 and 10 but that doesn't include well first of all it doesn't it it's not it doesn't suggest a prayer is being prayed and and it doesn't even include other essential elements of salvation. For instance, in the flyer that you all sent out, you mentioned repentance as a part, a necessary part of coming to the Lord. That's not there either. So,
3: Well, in, in the prayer, uh, it's included as one of the elements where a person admits that they sinned, and that's Christ's forgiveness for that. And so that it, that is an expression of, of repentance, of confession of sin and turning from it. Okay. So that's included in that prayer. Um you know, I, I guess you know I would have to say, well, how is it that a person gets in touch with God? How is it they receive the gift of salvation? Well, we believe it's by prayer that you open your heart to Christ and receive Him. It's in that communication with Him in which you know that that happens, and so that's why we we express this as a a, a sample prayer or a tool so that it helps a person to. Uh, establish
1: that communication with christ okay Earlier, you asked the question and uh, we'll reiterate here you know in the new testament several people uh we read numerous accounts of people who were saved there's no doubt about it and and, uh, we could look at those examples Uh, frank and i think you would agree at the end of it we, we both agree that these people are saved can you find do you have any example of someone in the new testament actually saying a prayer or being instructed to say a prayer in order to be saved other than, I mean, you, you you referenced Romans chapter 10, but I'm talking about a, a real example of someone who was saved. Okay,
3: I've got one right here for you, Greg. Um, in uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, where Jesus is talking about uh, the, the two men who went to the temple. One's a Pharisee, the other one was a publican or tax collector. And, of course, the Pharisees stood and prayed this, uh, you know, haughty prayer, thanking God he wasn't a sinner or like this you know, publican over there to the side and, you know, telling God he didn't cheat or sin or commit adultery or all these other sins, and that he fasted twice a week and gave his tithe and all that. And it was, in other words, just a prayer bracket on himself. And then it proceeds to say the tax collector stood a distance, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, and he prayed. I guess this is what you're asking, an example of someone who prayed. And it says instead he beat his chest to sorrow, say, "Oh God be merciful to me for I'm a sinner. So that was a simple prayer one in which he acknowledged his sin, and he asked God's forgiveness or mercy on him. So an example of a person who sinned. And then it concludes by saying, I tell you, in Jesus' speaking, he says, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So here's an example that our Lord himself gave a person who prayed a very simple, I would call it, sinner's prayer, and uh, and and was justified before
2: God. Would you agree, though, Frank, that those men were both Jews living under the law of Moses? They were already in a covenant relationship with God. They were born into a covenant relationship with God by virtue of their Jewish ancestry. This was before the gospel was preached on Pentecost. This was before the law of Christ went into effect. These were two Jews One of them was a a haughty Pharisee. The other was a a humble but sinful publican. But they were both Jews already in a covenant relationship with with God by virtue of their birth into the Jewish race.
3: I I don't make uh, that distinction as as you're doing because every person that Jesus spoke to, taught, preached to uh, was before his death on the cross. Many of them were Jews. Some were not. Uh, for instance, the Samaritan woman that he talked to, and and I understand that each person that God presented, uh, the, that Jesus presented the gospel to, the good news to, whether it be Jews or or Gentiles, you know, um, it, it's it's it was the for the purpose of explaining to them how they could have a right relationship with God. So I don't make that distinction that you're making.
2: Okay, uh, let me ask you another question, Frank. And uh, this this is bound to come up. Um, how do you how do you respond to this question concerning God hearing the prayers of sinners? You know, G- when Jesus healed a, a blind man in John nine, they the the, the Pharisees challenged him uh, and he uh, about his association with Jesus, and that blind man responded, made a statement that that I think is supported in scripture he said in John 9:31 we know that god heareth not sinners but if any man be a worshiper of god and doeth his will him he heareth John 9:31 now peter sort of reiterated that in 1 peter 3:12 when he said the eyes of the lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the lord is against them that do evil so how 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 is it that a sinner can even approach god in prayer because the scriptures teach that prayer is a privilege for those who have a covenant relationship with God. So if I'm a, a lost sinner, an alien, I've never been saved, and I'm seeking to establish this relationship with God, do I even have the the, the right or the privilege of prayer that God will hear me?
3: Yeah, In that passage you're talking about, I'd have to, to look at it uh, closely, and I don't have it right in front of me to see. Was it the blind man that said that, or was it the uh, accusing Pharisee? It, it
2: was the blind that that. man who said that, and I and I grant that, that, that I, and, I don't and, think he was that, an inspired man. That
3: is probably what he had heard or been taught. Um, but to answer your question, you know, uh, if a person who's a sinner can't call on the name of the Lord, then no one is going to be able to be saved because it's only by God's grace and the and, and light of the Holy Spirit that, convicts us of our sin, that makes us aware that we need Christ, Uh, you know, that we can uh, call on on God's name and be saved. And, um, you know, if a sinner couldn't call on the Lord, then nobody's going to be saved because we're all sinners. The Bible teaches that, you know, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, um, you know, as as a sinner, I'm not going to naturally seek God. You know, a lost sinner is not going to do that because of his, his sinful nature. But, once the Holy Spirit convicts his heart and, and draws him, as Jesus said, "If you know if i be lifted up, I'll draw him into me." You know, through the Spirit, He draws them. Now we're not forced to come to Him; we're not forced to to believe, but we're we're drawn, you know, by by His Spirit to do that. And then we have that choice to make. Uh, you know, will I choose to put my faith and trust in the One who died for me, or will I, you know, reject Him and and, and refuse that offer? So I think that's where God has given us that that free will and
1: choice to make once he you know opens our eyes to what the truth is we are up against a break we're going to take a break frank and when we get back to the break right i think uh, a, a pivotal uh discussion point in the discussion here would be to talk about this idea of calling on the name of the lord i think that's foundational uh to the idea of the sinner's prayer we'll talk we'll uh, frank we'll give you our interpretation of that on the other side of the break, and we'll the discussion. We're talking with Frank Webb of the First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, about the sinner's prayer. We'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend
0: during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again.
3: Guess what?
1: I just cheated on my husband he doesn't even know about. It.
3: <laughs>
1: and
0: then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that television magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8, S I N.
2: I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others' sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Here are some quotes worth pondering. Expressing thanks is necessary, not because God needs our thanks, but because we need to be thankful. Be a building block, not a stumbling block. He who puts God first will find God with him at the last. Count your blessings, not your woes. Man, I wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee,
0: nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible
1: study continues. We continue on the virtual Bible study tonight, and we thank you for being with us. As we talk with Frank Webb of the First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, about the sinner's prayer before we went to the break frank we told you on we got on the other side we wanted to explain our understanding of the uh the phrase to call on the name of the lord and uh it's I mean, this is very important in the discussion to, to know what
2: that phrase means well i think it is and it, here's how i would go out uh, at it uh frank to to explain what it means to call on the name of the lord when peter preached on the day of pentecost recorded in acts chapter two uh He suggested that calling on the name of the Lord would lead to salvation. Acts 2.21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter used that. He taught that. That was a concept that was certainly in his sermon, and it's certainly a scriptural or biblical expression. I think the context goes on to show how that's done. At the end of his sermon, the people on Pentecost were convicted in their hearts uh, and they, they said in verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he had taught them that they needed to call on the name of the Lord. And, and then when they asked for, effectively asked for clarification, how do you do that? He told them to repent and be baptized. So I would argue that calling on the name of the Lord is to respond to his to him in obedience to his instructions to his authority yeah in
1: uh, matthew chapter 28 verse 19 jesus said go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son of the holy spirit and then in acts chapter 8 verse 16 we read about those who had done this only they were baptized in the name of the lord jesus acts chapter 8 verse 16 so again not necessarily we don't believe it's necessarily a verbalization of anything rather it is a responding to the authority of christ
2: does that make, how would, you, how would you respond to that, Frank?
3: Well, Greg, I think you've touched on the, the, one of the typical and, and main differences uh, in how we as Baptists and you as Church of Christ um, approach salvation and the explanation of it, um, and, and I'm not very surprised that you went to those verses that included baptism, and uh, The question, the difference uh, between this is not uh, that a person must believe and have faith, that they must repent of their sin. We agree on those things. Exactly. That uh, they have to have their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus, who was the the sacrifice on the cross for them. We agree on that. The question is what role or part the water baptism plays uh, in this. And uh, even in the text you quoted in in Acts 2.38, um, I, I, there's so much that hinges on that little word for for the the remission or the forgiveness of sin. Uh, you see, we understand it to mean I'm baptized because of because I have the forgiveness of sin, not in order to get the forgiveness of sin. And you know, I, I've had a number of New Church Christ friends growing up, and we've discussed this a number of times, and and we reach the point in which uh, we just have to agree to disagree on well, that point. Yeah, I, and, I, I, and, I, and, I, and I tell them, you know, uh, if if you were not saved until you came out the, the, the water, the pool of water, I know I was saved before I went into the pool of water. So this is a, a point of difference in, in our understanding of Scripture.
2: Well, yeah. that's right, Frank. But, of course, it, there is an answer to that question. It just depends on, you know, whether we accept the, the reasoning but the word the word for therefore for the remission of sins the word for is the Greek word ice that means unto in order to uh, and it's the exact same identical expression that Jesus used in Matthew 26:28 when he instituted the Lord's Supper he said this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins in the Greek it's the identical construction
3: Yes I, I agree with you the Greek word is ice it's a preposition. But just like in English, a word can have several meanings, not just one meaning. And when you look that up in the Greek lexicon, you're going to find at least these two definitions. One is because of, the other is in order that. Well, you're choosing the meaning in order that. In other words, I'm baptized in order to have the remission of sin. I'm choosing the understanding based on the, Other other teachings in other places of Scripture that it's because of. Uh, So there's a there's a difference simply in which definition of that little Greek word, uh, and and it does um, cast an entirely different light and understanding on how you view the role of baptism as related. Go
1: ahead. A couple points. One of them is there's another three letter word in Acts chapter two, verse thirty eight, and that's the word and. And, it, and I, I'm not very good with English, but I think that's a conjunction that joins repent and baptism together. And so if baptism is, is because we've already been saved, then repentance would be as well, just for the English. But we probably, in, in, in order to have a good discussion, we probably used poor judgment by referencing the verses that, uh, that talk about the name of the Lord and include baptism. Because what we really wanted to discuss was whether or not Romans chapter 10, verse 13, calling on the name of the Lord, refers to a prayer or verbalization where numerous passages teach us that the phrase in the name of the Lord simply refers to his authority and submitting to his authority rather than some verbalization or a prayer. I think that can be shown very clearly. For instance, in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, the people were crying, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It wasn't what Jesus was saying. It was the fact that Jesus was coming with the authority of God.
2: I think that probably is key, Frank. That that, you're you're, when you see call on the name of the Lord, you take that. Almost, I, I, would it be fair for me to say that you take that in a literal way? You say the name of the Lord. You you, you verbalize it, whereas w- we understand that to be, coming to Him through His authority.
3: Well, I understand it to be an expression of faith of what's in the heart, and again within the context of. Of Romans 10, it's I like just talked about believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and a confession with the mouth. And so I think it naturally follows in verse 13 that it includes that when it says, "Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." Um, in verse 10, it just says it again, just in different words. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And uh, again, we're not talking about magic formula that is spoken aloud. We're talking about a genuine uh, expression through prayer of one's faith to God and calling on him to forgive their sin and to save their soul. Okay. Uh, and that's what we mean simply by uh, the sinner's prayer is yeah. a tool, a simple prayer to, to aid a person in that expression of their faith.
2: Let me ask you one last question, Frank, and, and we will uh, we will let you get off the phone here. We kept you longer probably than than you expected, but let, just for clarification, because it has come up here, the, the question of baptism—that wasn't that wasn't really uh, our specific thrust in discussing this with you tonight. But of course, it, it's, it is a part of the discussion, not, uh, almost in, uh, unavoidably a part of the discussion. I noticed in the flyer that you sent out, and and in what, and I'm taking from what you just said, would would you agree that a person can be saved and never be baptized?
3: Yes, uh, I think baptism is important. I mean, obviously, you know, our denominational name is Baptist, and we believe it's important because Christ commanded it. But, but what we believe is that you're saved through that expression of your faith and trust in Christ, not through water, Um and, you know, the Scripture has an example, and I know you probably considered this an exception, but, you know, the thief on the cross, he said he would be with him that day in paradise. So, you know, he was saved without water baptism, obviously. He was in a situation where he couldn't have been if he wanted to. Uh, but, but, again, that, that is a point of difference in our understanding uh, of Scripture.
2: Okay. All right. Well... I think we've I think we've identified our differences, Frank. Of course, you and I, as I said, we had met privately and discussed these things, and so we 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 knew where we were coming from on this. And of course, they they are positions of long standing. You and I are not the first ones who ever came to these most, divergent most, most opinions. Uh, but it's it's worth. I, I hope you agree, and I hope our listeners agree that it's worth talking about these things, if for no other reason to help us understand our differences, where we are different and, and uh, to, to be informed about what I think are important things uh, uh, from the word of God. So I want to thank you for uh, agreeing to spend some time with us on the virtual Bible study and for for uh, explaining to us uh, your point of view from these scriptures that we've discussed.
3: And Greg, thank you for thank you. Uh, the spirit in which we've been able to discuss these things both in person and now on the radio. And, uh, and I agree with you. I think it's important that God's people be able to uh, you know, have a, a discussion on their understanding of Scripture without it becoming antagonistic or argumentative, but simply to understand uh, what the other believes or how they understand the Scripture. All right. So I, I appreciate
2: that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Frank. Thanks for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study.
1: Okay. Good night. All right. All right. We do appreciate, Frank, for taking time out of his schedule to be a part of the program. We're looking forward to you being a part of the program now. We're going to take a break. At the bottom of the hour here to get this week's bullet point. And then on the other side of the break, the line is open for you at 877-381-4567. Use the phone tonight. Let us know your thoughts. Send us an email to questions at collegeu.com or join in the chat room with other listeners. A lot of listeners there in the chat room tonight have not logged in to where you can comment. It's very simple. Follow the instructions at the bottom of the chat window, and you can be chatting with other listeners tonight. We take a break, and we go on the other side taking your comments. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this.
0: You won't want to miss what we talk about next.
2: The discussion continues
0: right after these important messages.
2: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Here's a challenge for you. Try to find a single place in the scriptures where the Lord ever encountered a person and encouraged him to stay as he was. You can't do it, can you? The Lord always encouraged people to change, to become better than they previously were. We know, of course, that some were already morally purer than others. For instance, Cornelius was, quote, a devout man who feared God, gave alms liberally, and prayed constantly, according to Acts chapter 10, verse 2. But then there were folks like the Corinthians who had been immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. All of that's listed in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 9. But regardless of their existing condition, all who learned the gospel had to change. Why? Why? Paul answered that question for us when he said there is none righteous, no not one, Romans 3, verse 10. There are too many people who call themselves Christians who have never gotten serious about making changes and improvements in their lives. They still want to act like they used to act, dress like they used to dress, talk like they used to talk, and so forth. The heart of the problem may be that we have failed to see ourselves as real sinners. After all, it is reasoned, we aren't nearly as bad as many others in our society. We need to stop deceiving ourselves by such useless comparisons. The statistics have never changed, and it still remains true. Quote, there is none righteous, no, not one. That being the case, we need to be changing, improving for the Lord. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study.
0: I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're
1: back on the program tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at com, Or the chat room is open for you. Why not give us a call, though? Toll free, 877-381-4567. Again, thank you to Frank Webb for joining us
2: on the program tonight. Exactly. We're glad to. And, and, and as he said, we appreciate his good attitude and uh, and that we can disagree. We obviously disagree, but we can do it in a in a congenial way and and not be antagonistic but but these are serious issues we're not uh, we're not downplaying the the significance of the difference that exists between us obviously all right
1: I, I i wrote down a few of his arguments number 1 was he said Romans chapter 10 verse 9 told us that we needed to confess our belief in Christ we agree with that we agree with that that is an action that we must do but but but, but, it, 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 but in it?
2: but in regards to our question where is someone taught to pray for salvation he offered that passage but that passage is, is is not describing a prayer. It's saying you have to confess and we acknowledge that but I think what Frank was saying, in fairness to him, he's saying
1: You do that in a prayer. Th- this
2: prayer is a form of confessing. Confess. And that verse that passage tells us to confess. We confess we believe that a person has to confess their faith in Jesus
1: too. We but we have examples of how people did that in the first century, and it was not through prayer.
2: Well, you know, we could we could look at that example in Acts chapter eight of the Ethiopian eunuch, and I know some people might might argue that the 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 verses in question are spurious but i i I believe they're legitimate in acts chapter 8 philip verse 35 philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture preached unto him jesus and as they went on their way they came to a certain water and the eunuch said see here's water what doth hinder me to be baptized and philip said if thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest and the eunuch prayed a prayer no it, it all he did was confess his faith verbally he he answered said i believe jesus christ is the son of god that's not a prayer but it's a confession
1: all right he went on and referenced romans 10 verse 13 where he said calling on the name of the lord seems to allude to a prayer again we would say that calling on the name of the lord refers to us submitting to the authority of the lord
2: yeah I, I i saw this uh verse uh mentioned in the chat room i think uh listener steve in the chat room mentioned this by the way We have not been able to keep up with all your comments in the chat room. Obviously, we were busy in the direct conversation with with Frank on the phone, so we haven't been able to field all the comments in the chat room. You all keep it up in there and keep discussing. But I think I did see this earlier, uh, which I think is is an important verse to bring out. When Ananias went to Saul of Tarsus, now this is a retelling of the event. Paul, the Apostle Paul is retelling his own conversion. And he mentions what Ananias said. He, remember, he he saw and spoke to the Lord on the road to Damascus. He went into the city. He was three days fasting and praying. By the way, he'd been praying. You know, we might that go, is interesting. We might go back to that. In Acts chapter 9, Paul went into the city. He was there three days without sight. Neither did he eat nor drink. This is Acts nine 9.9. Uh, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him the Lord said, Ananias, and then I said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. So here's here's a believer. Now, he had confessed his faith in Jesus on the road. Right. He called him Lord. So talked He talked to him, had an a experience with him. So he, he, he confessed his faith in Jesus on the road, called him Lord. He went into the city of Damascus. He prayed. He'd been fasting and praying for three days. Mm-hmm. When Ananias comes to him, what does he say? Acts 22, 16. Now, again, this is the retelling, Paul retelling his own conversion. Ananias said, Now, why tarish thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So that verse ties together several things. It proves that a man who had confessed his faith in Jesus and had been praying was still not saved. Yeah. And he had to be baptized to wash away his sin. He was still in his sin. He had to wash away his sins. And that was how he would call on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord
1: through yeah. baptism. And yeah. the baptism is when the sins were washed away. So yeah. he was not saved before his baptism. He was saved He still had
2: Well, he still hadn't called on the name of the Lord. We'd have to conclude he had not yet called on the name okay. of the Lord. He, he had confessed him, and he had prayed, but he hadn't yet called on the name of the Lord. Okay. He was calling on the name of the Lord when he consummated that obedience, put it all together. Now, we, we should stress, Jacob, that we... We understand that baptism is not any more important part of that process than any other, but it is an important part of the process of calling on the name of the Lord. All right,
1: and then uh, the next argument—I mean, again, I may have—I probably missed several, but one that I had written down here—he referenced the, the tax collector in Luke chapter 13 and 14, or chapter 18, verses 13 and 14, where the tax collector was praying to God and said, uh, "Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner." And Jesus concluded in verse eight, 14 of uh, Luke 18 that the tax collector went back down to his house justified. What do you think about that? Does that then indicate that um, we have a sinner's prayer?
2: Well, again, as I was pointing out to Frank when he when he brought that up, I, I don't think that that applies to an alien sinner trying to come into a covenant relationship with the Lord because these men were Jews already. And so we know that Jews were born into a relationship with God by virtue of their ancestry. This is Old Testament law, this is the law of Moses. These were Jews. They were now one was a sinner. Well, actually, they both were sinners. The Pharisee was a sinner. The publican was wasn't ad, admitted sinner. The Pharisee wasn't, but they were both sinners. But this is not describing someone who would be coming to the Lord today under the law of Christ. Uh, and so that's, that's not an applicable illustration or example yeah, for us.
1: That, 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 that tax collector would have had to do some things that we would I mean, he would had to bring sacrifices and other things to atone for his sins back in those times. Right. All right. And then uh, the last one uh, before Le- uh, Frank left us was the thief on the cross. He says the thief on the cross is an example of someone who is saved without baptism, what do you say about that? Does the thief on the cross prove to us then that we don't have to be baptized and no other, that, that instead we can say a, a prayer?
2: Well, of course, we've discussed the thief on the cross many times. Uh, and I think the bottom line answer is the thief, across, thief on the cross di- received his blessing. He died and received his blessing before the law of Christ went into effect. We believe he was saved. We believe he was saved, but he he. He had his sins forgiven directly by Jesus in person. And he wasn't the only one who did that. Lots of people in the, in the time of Jesus, yeah. when Jesus was walking here on the earth, he forgave the sins of lots of people. Yeah, one
1: of those instances being the, the one who was sick of the palsy in Ma- Mar- Matthew chapter 9. He said, "I sins be forgiven. Thee.
2: Yeah. Lots so of the, so the, actually, the thief on the cross is not a unique case. And if Jesus were here in person today... He couldn't extend forgiveness to us on any terms that he wanted to. And,
1: and yeah, but now
2: that he now that he has uh, died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, we are therefore obligated to adhere to the last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ that that is in effect now. Uh, it, it's much like a person who dies. Well, Jacob, I don't have any money, but if I had a lot of money, I could give it to you right now. You could, yeah. But after I die, the only way you can get any of my money is by complying to the terms of my will. Yeah. And that's that's what the Hebrew writer argued in uh, Hebrews nine sixteen, where a testament is, there must also be a necessity to be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. And that's talking about the will of Christ. It yeah. came into effect after he was dead.
1: And that will that Jesus left us with is... Uh... Enumerated to us in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The instruction there that Jesus left us to comply with upon his departure from the earth is he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, that brings us full circle to the idea of calling on the name of the Lord, submitting to his authority. If I'm going to submit to the Lord's authority and do what he said in order to be saved, I'm going to follow the instruction he gave me prior to his departure. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved.
3: Exactly right.
2: All right. All
1: right. 877-381-4567. Toll free. Please give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. Questions at collegeview.com.
2: Frank didn't mention all of the the potential uh, scriptures that might have come up to try and argue for prayer as a means of obtaining salvation. Sometimes um, the case of Simon the Sorcerer in Acts 8.22 is brought up. Peter told him, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, Acts 8.22. But, again, that was a case of a person who was already Christian. Yeah. And he had the privilege of prayer. So um, uh, and we mentioned Romans 10. Um, when we come back to the break, I want to get to this when we come back from the break. What about the case of Cornelius? Mm-hmm. We, might, we might need to spend a little extra time on that. But, but by the way, we haven't even gotten to the questions that that I sent out to our update list earlier today, and we might go to some email responses that we've gotten on this. And I've got I've got one or two in the inbox right now. Um, I asked the question: Does prayer play a part in a lost sinner gaining salvation? Yes or no? And Jim in Mount Pleasant, he who, by the way, Jim calls himself another Mount Pleasant preacher. <laughs> Yes, he so, is.
1: Don't get choked up. Oh, yes, out, up yeah, ch- I know. Not
2: uh, a does prayer play a part in the lost center gaining salvation? He says yes, Cornelius prayed and his prayers were heard by God, Acts 10. But in order for him to be saved, he had to listen to and obey the preaching of Peter. Okay. Um uh, Skip in Indiana, Greencastle, Indiana, writes, uh answering obvious error and mishandling of scripture is necessary. However, I have found too frequently we focus on the other person's error and fail to see. What the passage is saying to us, saying the sinner's prayer is not the way to salvation, but one must have the attitude of the man who said that prayer in order to be saved. So, uh, again, I think I would agree with Skip there. I mean, that that humble attitude in which you're willing to acknowledge your sin and and seek forgiveness is a necessary thing. If you don't have that, you're not ever going to be saved. All right. But as he says, the sinner's prayer is not the way to salvation.
1: All right. We're going to take a break. And when we get back, we've got to talk about Cornelius. And we do want to say again, we appreciate Frank. We're not trying to, uh, you know, to make arguments here that he can't answer now that he's not on the phone. We're just re- ex- explaining what we believe and why we believe it. Again, we don't have any. Do you have some kind of predisposition against saying a sinner's prayer? Is there something that is it somehow just, dis- you know, disturbing to you to say a sinner's prayer personally?
2: No, I, I mean we pray and acknowledge our sins, hopefully all the time. Okay. Uh, but our concern is that people are being taught that this is the means to come to salvation. In the flyer that we referenced earlier, when people, you know, how is it possible to have salvation and forgiveness of sins? Well, you have to pray this prayer. And so that was the answer to the question, how can I have salvation and the forgiveness of sins? Pray this prayer. Right. And once you have, they said, congratulations. In other words, it's a finished process. Uh, and so that's where our concern is, not that, that someone would humbly confess their faith in Jesus and acknowledge themselves as a sinner. That's not bad at all. But to say that that is what gets you to the point of being saved, that's where it, it is a point of major concern.
1: All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, Cornelius on the other side. Let's talk about uh, what we believe you, have, you must do in order to be saved and the authority that we and why we believe it. We believe you've got to call in the name of the Lord. You've got to submit to his authority. The only way we submit to that authority is by following what he has told us to do, and we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. We look forward to hearing from you. Again, give us a call toll-free, 877-381-4567. Email us questions at collegeu.com or join in the chat room with other listeners tonight. Don't go anywhere. We go to the top of the hour
0: right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues
1: right after these important messages. Do you remember when you went to church and heard sermons that clearly set forth the New Testament plan of salvation? Can you recall when churches rang out with lessons that plainly exposed false teachers and false doctrines? Can you think back to a time when preachers and members of the church were set for the defense of the gospel? Philippians 1:17. If you are craving to find a congregation that is like the church you can remember from years ago, like the church back in the first century, please visit with us soon. We're trying hard to be a church just like the church you remember, like the one you read about in the Bible. Come and see. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old.
0: And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. The
1: virtual Bible study continues tonight, and we appreciate you for joining us. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, come and visit with us Sunday mornings at 930, Sunday evenings at 6, and Wednesday evenings at 7. As we talk about the sinner's prayer on the virtual Bible study tonight.
2: I've um, got another answer from a, uh, an email from someone, and I don't know who this is. Uh, his email handle is Foghorn. Uh, I asked the question, does prayer play a part in a lost sinner gaining salvation? Yes or no, why or why not? He says, sure. How can one be forgiven of their sins lest they ask? How can you ask lest you pray for forgiveness? A prayer to God is a given. I disagree. It, why is it a given? We've been asking all night for an example of that.
1: Or an instruction.
2: Where anybody was ever commanded to do it or an example of anybody ever doing that in order to come to salvation. We we still haven't found that yet. So I disagree with Foghorn's answer.
1: Again, if I'm going to call the name of the Lord, if I'm going to submit to his authority, and if I'm going to do it by faith, I've got to read about it. I've got to read somewhere where someone was instructed to pray. Read somewhere where someone prayed in order to be saved. And I can't find that in the New Testament.
2: I asked another question I asked, Jacob, what examples do we have of lost sinners praying in the New Testament? Well, Jim in Mount Pleasant says, Simon was told by Peter to repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray God that he would be forgiven. Peter said he was in the gall of bitterness and bond of iniquity, Acts 8.32. All of this means he was lost. However, Simon had already obeyed the gospel, as we know from earlier in the chapter. So the commands that Peter gave to him were not commands to one who was never saved, but one who had been saved, sinned, and now needed to repent and receive God's forgiveness. Okay. I, I think that's right. All right. Uh, we got an email from Stephen uh, who makes this argument. Uh, it's a little bit longer. I'm going to read it real quick. We're going to run out of time. The whole issue boils down to what authority you look for in the Scriptures. Since salvation doesn't come with an affidavit that drops out of the sky from heaven, which would be a defining sign as to a, when a person is saved, and since we have nothing to visibly see or test to when salvation comes, then we must rely on something else. One choice is tradition. Martin Luther started a tradition that cannot be traced back past the early sixteenth century, but that constitutes nearly five hundred years of tradition, not too shabby. The context for the Reformation was really nothing less than remarkable for that age and circumstances, and it probably seemed fitting to distance oneself from everything Roman Catholic. And that included the teaching concerning baptism. So in rejecting the greater in rejecting the greater, Luther rejected the part. Under authority, people turned Another authority people turn to is the teaching of their denomination, without which the mantle of ordination does not get granted, which affects careers, finances, and power. Whatever is taught about baptism in seminary is what gets passed along. But then there's a third place one may go for authority. I think this is what, this is what we really want to get to. He's saying people look for authority in various places. Here's what here's the, the third option, which I think Stephen is going to argue is the right one. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He then tells us in terms that perhaps only those who are at least as smart as a fifth grader can understand on how to make one a disciple by baptizing him and only then teaching them the pharisees understood about authority mark 11:27 beginning and questioned jesus on the subject by what authority are you doing these things concerning miracles had i been there i would have been more interested in by what power do you do these things that's me to which jesus turned the question of authority toward the baptism of john was it from heaven or men This dialogue should answer the question that Protestants have today, insisting that baptism is a work of man, not God, and should thus be rejected on those grounds. They fail to realize the simple truth concerning baptism. It is a work of God.
1: All right, we have a question in the chat room tonight. So if you can't find uh, someone praying in the New Testament when they were saved, then are you saying that if they do, they are not following the New Testament example if they ask Jesus to come into their hearts while they are being baptized?
2: I think we ask Jesus to come into our heart by being baptized. That's the point at which it's a submission to Jesus. Yeah,
1: I mean, okay.
2: if you want to pray as you're coming out of the water of, of baptism, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I don't object. But to. I, I don't, don't have an example I, of it again. I don't, again, I, don't
1: I don't have an example of asking Jesus to come into my heart. I do that by obedience. By obedience and submitting to His will. Yeah. All right.
2: Uh, we asked the question: What examples do we have of lost sinners praying in the New Testament? What conclusions can be drawn foghorn says time constrains me but to mention a few off the top of my head you have the thief on the cross asking jesus to remember him and before the gospel was preached on pentecost this is the same as anyone would do being lost you cry out for him to save you older new testament we all need a savior i know that below is referring to the cleansing to cleansing leper but it is the same example how we are cleansed spiritually He quotes from mark one uh i don't agree that that has any application to to cleansing from sin so much Read that passage i ask is a is a believer saved before without baptism yes or no why or why not he said yes they are saved a lost man has no desire to be baptized only a saved man wants to be don't agree with that from another angle do you baptize paul
1: Paul had sins
2: again that need to be washed away in his baptism from another angle do you baptize a saved person or a lost person you baptize a lost person and when they are baptized they are saved for for the remission of sins acts 238 yeah so I, i i think we would disagree strongly with we mentioned Jacob. we're going to run out of time we mentioned but we do about, have
1: time for your call at 877-381-4567 if you'd like to give us a call and let us know your thoughts uh
2: we ask about cornelius i want to read an answer that was written by james buchanan uh, james? I, yeah. I think he answers it pretty well what about cornelius many often object and bring up cornelius who prayed to god and evidently received an answer several facts however are often overlooked by those who would use this example First, the angel says that Cornelius' prayers had, quote, gone up for a memorial before God, Acts 10, verse 4. Did God know Cornelius prayed? Of course he knew. However, did God directly answer Cornelius' prayer? We have no scriptural evidence that he did. Second, even after Cornelius prayed, the angel gave Cornelius' instruction to, quote, send men to Joppa and fetch one Simon, whose surname is Peter, Acts 10, verse 5. What would Peter do when he got there? Acts eleven fourteen tells us that Peter would speak words, by which Cornelius would be saved. Cornelius' prayer was not adequate toward salvation. Okay. And so I think that's that's the right answer. He prayed, but he wasn't saved by praying. Cornelius is not an example of the sinner's prayer saving somebody. He prayed, but what eventually would save him was when he heard the words of Peter and he obeyed them.
1: If Cornelius proves anything, it proves to us that prayer doesn't save. Not that, uh, that that you could pray to God for salvation. Prayer doesn't save. Cornelius still needed
2: to hear these words that Peter was going to teach. So, uh, you know, really, if you think about it, Jacob, we've got a couple of powerful examples here. We've got the example of Cornelius, who was a, was a good man, a, a very good man, according to Acts chapter 10, verse 2. And he was a praying man. Right. But he wasn't saved in that fashion. Right. He, he had to hear the words that Peter preached, and he was baptized. We got the case of Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul. He saw and spoke to Jesus on the road to Damascus, confessing him there, I think. Right. Uh, I think one one uh, person in the chat room disagreed that that was a confession of his faith. Okay, Jesus.
1: okay. The... If it was or wasn't, don't that, that's, this that, that, gotta, no, don't hang on that. We still see that he he had faith in Jesus because he did what Jesus said. Yeah. If he did, if he thought it was just a sham and it wasn't really Jesus, why did he go to and uh, to Damascus yeah. and be told?
2: But at the very least, we know for a fact he was praying. Yeah, and yet he wasn't saved by his prayers. He was saved when Ananias came to him and said, "Arise and be baptized and wash away the white Thou rise and be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord." Okay. So the, the, there's two examples of prayer. Of people praying and not saved by the prayers
1: you know one thing i wanted to ask frank and i didn't get the opportunity to do it you know a lot of a lot of people discount baptism because they say it's some kind of work that you would earn your salvation you can't you can't do any you can't you, uh, you know any act of obedience cannot be required because it'd be some kind of work what about prayer isn't that an act
2: an action i mean in fact that probably requires more action than baptism well if you th- i mean it's it, it i if you verbalize the prayer, you're actually doing some physical work. I mean, if you actually form even a the
1: thought, Even the thinking, the thought process. You've got to you burn
2: some calories thinking. Right.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a, that's something that puzzles me. We have your time. Again, we've got time. We can sneak in a call. If you disagree with us or you agree with us, uh, hopefully uh, you will give us a call and let us know your thoughts.
2: I hope I've gotten to all of the emails that came in. I think that I have. You
1: asked question number three.
2: I asked one more question here. Uh, is, a, is a believer saved before and without baptism? Yes or no? Why or why not? You know, I, 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 I asked Frank to clarify that because it isn't a major point of difference between the Baptist churches and us. They they teach the person is saved before and without baptism. And uh, that you would never, I mean, the, he says baptism is important, but, you, you know, you could be saved without ever being baptized. baptized. Um I asked the question, is a person saved before and without baptism? Jim in Mount Pleasant answers. Again, the situation with Simon in Acts 8 shows that he heard the gospel preached and obeyed it by being baptized. No evidence exists in the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus Christ that anyone was ever saved before and without baptism. And I think that's a true statement.
1: Well, quickly, we've got some time here. What are some verses that you believe that teach we must be baptized in order to be saved? We've, we've said over and over again, we believe that we've got to be baptized. What are some verses? Why do you believe that? Why are you, why are you so adamant that we've got to be baptized in order to be saved?
2: Well, you know, we might go back to Acts because Frank made his, his first and I think strongest case, what was from Romans chapter 10. If thou shalt confess Verse 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved For with the heart. Man believeth unto righteousness with the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. Well, in that same letter, Romans chapter Mm 6, beginning verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we we, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So... In the same letter, Paul taught baptism as an essential thing, that that's how we get into Christ. We're baptized into Christ. So uh, if we have to be in Christ in order to be saved, and I think everybody would agree with that, then Paul in this same Roman epistle said we have to be baptized.
1: All right. Lots of other passages you can reference as well. Jesus, again, we Mark 16, verse 16. Mark, Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 19. Other passages as well, as you referenced in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight. Now this is interesting, where people ask the same question that the pamphlet uh, that the First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant uh, addressed—the idea of how do I be saved, how do I uh, become right with God, how am I saved? When Peter was asked that in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight, and again no allusion to a sinner's prayer, but instructions, specific instructions about being baptized in Acts two thirty-eight. Okay. Peter went on in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21 tells us that baptism saves us. Now, is this again, is this a work that we should shy away from and run away from, and just assume just because it requires action that it is a work that is condemned by Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 or other passages along those lines?
2: I don't think so. You know, one thing that would just and we're just just going to be out of time here in a minute, but one thing that that came up in our conversation with frank and again i want to really thank frank for joining us on the virtual bible study I appreciate his good attitude although we obviously disagree very uh seriously on and on a fundamental issue this is this is not you know how many angels can you stand on the head of a pen this is about salvation this is what a person must do in order to be saved this is the essential stuff yeah so i mean it's very important uh but you know we ask from First Peter three twelve. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and the ear, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Where would you go in the scriptures to find it? authority for the fact that a person not in a relationship with God has the privilege to pray to God? Because basically that's what you're saying. If you're teaching that a lost sinner should pray a prayer to come into a relationship with God, right? Where's where's how would you substantiate that? The, the the passage here, one Peter three twelve says, God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. So if you're a sinner, you can't pray to him. He he won't hear your prayer. Now again, the only the only potential objection to that argument is Cornelius. But even in the case of Cornelius, it, his,
3: didn't, it didn't. God knew of him.
2: God knew of his prayer, but his prayer didn't save him. God didn't respond to his prayer to save him. What what God made possible was for him to come into contact with a preacher who would preach to him the truth and tell him what he needed to do to be safe.
1: The question then for us to answer, Dad, is do you want to stand before God on the day of judgment and say, you know, I thought that the prayer was going to work. I was pretty convinced that uh, that people were saying the right thing. Do you want to stand before him and say, you know, I said a prayer? Or do you want to stand before him and say, I did what you told me to do in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall. You've got to have authority. You've yeah. got to call in the name of the Lord. You've got to do it by his authority. and. What authority are you going to go by? And
2: I want to reiterate one more time what you said so forcefully when we were talking to Frank. Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. He said you're baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. Mm-hmm. We believe you're baptized in order to have the remission of sins. And you made the argument that can't be answered. Do you repent because your sins have already been forgiven? Right. No. You repent in order to have the forgiveness of sins. You repent and be baptized in order to have the remission of sins.
1: All right. Well, appreciate the time. Again, appreciate uh, frank webb for joining us tonight and a good discussion and uh, hopefully it was a profitable discussion and one with uh the right sentiment and the right attitudes we appreciate uh, him for joining us on the program tonight jeff's been de- driving the board all night we haven't uh, talked with jeff tonight but jeff thank you for being here and uh, dad thank you for your time thanks jacob all right we appreciate you for joining us on the virtual bible study as well we hope you've benefited from our discussion and study of god's word we hope you make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual bible study and in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life Study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.